Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview. I'm Ange Musgrove and John Gibson is back beside me today. We're on his jollies last week and <laughs> just his look that Newcastle would end up winning the game. Yeah, terrific, wasn't it? I mean, um, you know, we're sitting very comfortable. We've been talking about being safe for an awful long time and as far as I'm concerned, Newcastle have been safe since they completed that nine-match unbeaten run which was a startling rise from the dead. Absolutely fabulous. You're safe because mathematically you can be caught, but the bottom four, or certainly three of them, are not going to win game after game after game while we lose game after game after game, which is what it's really going to take. And so I've felt, having said that, it's absolutely imperative Newcastle don't take their foot off the accelerator because we want to finish with a bit of a swagger, get a decent position in the table to finish, to carry on the optimism of the crowd and the club and everything about it and to encourage players to come and sign for us this summer. Yeah, it'll be kind of the the, the sales pitch for the summer. Absolutely, for, yes. Hopefully yes. a better quality of, of player. Um, obviously, Newcastle beat Wolves at St James's Park, first home game since the fifth of March. The crowd really played a role in, particularly late in the game. Is is Chris yeah. will end up getting? It is. It is at home time after time now, isn't it? The crowd's yeah. the twelfth man, and they're magnificent. And then, and that's what I want to talk about. Obviously, Leicester City are the visitors this Sunday at St James's Park once again, and then Crystal Palace follow that once again at home and then you know we're making up for lost time and it, it's been such a while since we've had a, a run of home games yep. and fingers crossed Newcastle can collect nine points but I do want to just focus on the home form under mm-hmm. Eddie Howe at Newcastle United they've won four of the last six home games they've drawn the other two they've only lost to Manchester City uh, since Eddie Howe took over as Newcastle United manager you know, when I was growing up as a kid, St James's Park was always meant to be this fortress. Yeah. Under Keegan, it was a fortress. Under Sir Boy Robson, it was a fortress. The big teams feared coming to St James's Park. Yep. You know, in the, in the years previous, just gone by, it wasn't that. It was never a fortress. Um, Embarrassing Howe, at times, yep. Eddie Howe's turned it into one, and isn't it just wonderful to see? Yeah, um, and I think, uh, yes, Eddie Howe has to have huge, huge respect and appreciation for doing that. But everybody's played their part. The owners, with the way they go about Newcastle United, with their passion on match day, with the scarves and the gear and their excitement, the new players brought in who have been terrific, five of them in January, all have played their part, even those that have got injured quickly, like Trippier and, and weren't able to continue taking part. And the guys that were here have stepped up to the plate, having they've bought into the newfound enthusiasm, the togetherness. I mean, Newcastle United sound corny, but they're literally united now, and the, we weren't. And we're united with the terraces. That's a wonderful thing. The, the terraces were a toxic place to be under Ashley and under Bruce towards the end. And that was understandable because they're sick, Geordies, sick to the back teeth if things been done in their name that they've got no control over and um, they were wanting to say enough's enough. You remove the two huge obstacles and it has become a different place. It's a joy to go to St. James's Park on Matchley. And Eddie Howe 
and the board with the tweets after the game, uh, Jamie and Amanda's uh, husband, etc., etc. They're very clever at just being honest and saying thank you, fans, for what you've what you've done in support because they know the fans have dragged us over the line time and time again during this great run that uh, they've had at home. There's no question about that because they keep the players going mm. and that's terrific. Yeah, 100%. And we saw the impact it had on someone like Alan St. Maxman against Wolves. He didn't have the best of games, but the, the corner there, the Gallagher sung his name and it did seem to have an effect, which was, was great to see. You mentioned there what the owners do on social media. I mean, uh, me and dad went down and met the group, the War Flags yeah, group, he did. before yeah. the game, they joked about putting a flag in his seat and eventually got around to it, and he 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 flew it. Now again, to anyone from the outside looking in, they'll just think, "Goodness me, big deal! He's waving a flag." But we've said on previous episodes, it's 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 not just about that moment; it's about the last fourteen years, and it's another correct another release of all that frustration when, that built up. When Mike Ashley, as chairman of Newcastle, or, or certainly owner of Newcastle, wore a black and white shirt when he first was appointed, uh, when he first took over the club, that was to sell shirts. That's the business he was in. It was to sell shirts, and he would be there with a pint in his hand, etc. Not the greatest image in the world. This is to sell a football club and to sell unity, and that is significantly different. The the amazing thing in where I've I've said Andrew that we need the help of the fans and by Jove that they've got the help of the fans on match days at St James's Park is because we're still building bricks. We're still in the the bit where one brick goes on top of the other and slowly we're moving towards respectability. And you need more help during the early years than you ever do because you're limited on what you've got. For example, we've won the last four home games on the trot. Three of them have been by one goal margin, 1-0, 2-1. And the fourth against Everton was 3-1, but the, th the third goal came right at the death in the last 10 minutes of the match. So they've been close. So therefore you need all the sustained support on the terraces to drag you over the finish line when it's as close as that. And why has it been as close as that? Because Spurs game apart, we've got the defence sorted out. They, they, they're letting in no more than one goal per game and keeping some clean sheets as well outside of Spurs when we went into old habits. But... We're not scoring goals. We've scored two in the in the last four games we've had, both from set pieces, a free kick and a penalty. Uh, we haven't got a natural goal scorer. Wilson's out injured. Um, Gale won't be entertained for some unknown reason. Um, so, you know, where do the goals come from? Can we continue at home over the next two games to win albeit maybe it's by a single goal margin, and if so, who scores the goals? And now you can say they're spread. They're not spread enough when you when you haven't had a goal from open play in four games, in the last four games. But, you, you know, I mean, quite frankly, if Newcastle beat uh, Leicester by a single goal margin, I don't care if it's a, a audacious Bruno backheel flick, which is was better than goal of the month, was better than goal of the season, and might turn out to be goal of the if this particular century as far as Newcastle United are concerned. I don't care if it's a goal like that or if it's a scruffy OJ off somebody's backside because at the moment we're, we're points gathering and uh, 
will start getting pretty next season and the season afterwards. Mm. A goal is a goal. Of course, Chris Wood got his first at James Park. He had one ruled out. He was clearly offside in, in, in the build-up. And then we had the penalty and... It was a very good penalty in the, the, the match review episode on Monday. Myself and Aaron Stokes described it as Shearer-esque. I felt he, he grabbed the ball and he just went up with a bit of pomp and he, he put it away in front of the Gallagher. And, you know, it's exactly what Alan Shearer would have done. Yeah, it's exactly what any Premier League striker should do with a penalty. I mean, it's God's gift to you, isn't it? That is not having a go at Chris Wood. I felt well chuffed from him because... The goal that he scored, he was lying on his backside when it come across to him and still managed to hook it in the net. He was not the one offside. It was offside in the build-up with Bruno. What a tragedy that it was an offside, a fractional offside, because the back heel of, of Miggy Almiron was sumptuous. I had to check again to make certain it was Miggy Almiron because I thought, what is that? That's audacious. And so he was very unlucky there. He got the penalty himself, and he got it expertly, by the way. And I'm not suggesting for one second it was cheating because it was not under any circumstances. But good centre-forwards do that. If they're played in, you go at the keeper, and you think, I'm either gonna, he's going to let me go around him and I'm going to slot into an empty net, or he's going to have to bring me down, and he brings him down. Yes, he kept his nerve and did terrific during the, you know, VAR, etc., etc. There's always hesitation before the penalty can be taken. And he took the penalty exceptionally, exceptionally well. There's absolutely no question about that. But we're now going to go into the situation, aren't we? Is that goal going to spark him to go on a run? And uh, is this going to happen? And is that going to happen? Uh, is an Let's put it this way, he's an honest-to-goodness centre-forward that'll give you every drop of sweat and blood that he's got. And that's what he is. Now better and now worse. That penalty conceded by Saw was a Premier League record. Uh, yeah, the most ever by a goalkeeper in a single yeah. campaign in the camp competition's history. So that's the third one he's conceded this season. I do wonder if maybe Chris Wood did a little bit of homework and maybe we'd been watching oh, some I, tapes of us. I would hope so, because uh, you try to get every advantage going for you can. It's like if you're going to be a penalty taker, you you should look at which way the goalkeeper goes when penalties are taken. And if you're the goalkeeper, you're looking at which side it's struck to. So, yes, that's what I meant, Andrew, when I said that he did nothing wrong, nothing illegal, but he played for the penalty. Yeah. If he's put through, he has every right to say, I'm going to try to go around you, but if not, I'm going to go over the top of you. You're going to have to bring me down. And that's a penalty. And that's what he did. And that is good centre-forward play. Certainly going to be an interesting battle on, on Sunday between who we would presume would rather be Johnny Evans or mm. Sinanchu against Chris Wood. Obviously, Leicester in the Europa Conference uh, this evening against PSV. Yeah, it depends least. on injuries, etc. Yeah. doesn't it? See, I mean, that's just an utterly bizarre competition in my view. But that's, oh. that's a point for another episode. But the battle there, I mean, look, Johnny Evans is a very good centre-back. Sinanchu, you know, he seems to have moments. I think he reminds me a little bit of Fabian Cher, where we know there's a good Premier League centre-back in Evans. there. Evans? Uh, no, the other, the uh, Sinanchu. All right, yes. But yes. He, just, he just has that moment of, he just switches Ma off. Moment and, of madness. Yeah. Which is what Shaw had, and thankfully in this run, and since uh, Howe's shown so much faith in him as the man that should be alongside uh, Byrne, uh, he has to a great extent cut that out. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's going to be interesting. We all Leicester won. There's absolutely no question about that because back in December, when we'd waited 15 games to get our first victory, and by the way, that, that length of time at the beginning of the season without a win, sides go down. Yeah. They go down and we are going to stay up comfortably. So that emphasises the amount of work that can be done. But having squeezed past Burnley 1-0 up here for the first win of the season and the relief and elation of that, we went to Leicester. They were without Vardy, as they will be again probably on Sunday because he's been out injured for a little while now. They lost Johnny Evans in the first six minutes and yet they went on to, to beat us 4-0 with... Uh, Goals conceded in the second half. It sounds a little bit like Spurs, doesn't it? It does. I have to say, that game, watching that game, I feared at that point there was no way back for Newcastle. Oh, no, not, not at all. I, w I was exactly the same. And the law of averages, figures, stats, which tend to run football reporting these days, I mean, they, you know, everybody's got a book that could choke a horse about stats and, and rely less and less on what they actually see. But on stats, Newcastle were down. Sides do not stay up. I think one stayed up that mm. had gone more than 12 at the beginning of the season and we gone 15. It, it wasn't um, just the, the scoreline, though. It was the, the, the performance as well. They were oh. absolutely dying. We were expecting, like you say, a bit of a bounce after what had happened in the previous weeks. But... I just looked at the the scoreline at the end, just thought, I, I, I cannot see how Newcastle survived this season, and yet here we are. Well, we were what we were doing was limping towards January, weren't we? We, we had to try to organise with a very limited squad, and the good players in that squad, whether you, the, the, the great improvers, shall I say, like Shaw and like uh, Joe Linton and like Fraser, and needed the help of people around them to encourage them to flower and blossom. And um, we were limping towards January to see what uh, we could do then. But were we going to spend enough? Were we going to be able to sign enough? Were there going to be the quality needed to lift us instantly? And that they had to hit the ground running, Andrew, in January. You can't buy somebody and then give. Let's say, well, it takes four or five games to bet in. We haven't got four or five mm. games, and that's why we bought people with Premier League experience, including Trippier, who might have been in Spain, but with Spurs and Burnley, uh, Burn with with Brighton, Target at, at Villa, etc., etc. It's only Bruno that didn't uh, have experience, and it's been startling. If you look at our first half of the season under the old regime and the second half under this regime. Uh, the difference is ginormous. We mentioned there Leicester in the Europa Conference League. They play at PSV Eidehoven this evening, quarter six kickoff. They're taking it very seriously. You know, Brendan Rodgers is talking about making history and getting to their first semi final of a European competition. They rested Johnny Evans for the victory over. Crystal Palace, which, by the way, is it was a very good result. Very good result. You do maybe think that the FA Cup and you know Palace's ambitions are playing into that, and we'll see Palace at St James's Park um, in the not too distant future. But that was a very good result for Leicester, especially when they were resting the likes of Evans. How will a Thursday game and then the quick turnaround the Sunday affect Leicester? Do you think? Well, I hope it affects them hugely. Um, <laughs> But I'm always cynical about this, Andrew. Um, I, I follow it, the theory, you know, oh, you go into, you pay a price for qualifying for Europe because you've got to play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. When 
We won the European First Cup in 1968-69. We played 12 games across the continent, as well at home and away, across the continent, every Wednesday and Saturday, Wednesday and Saturday. There was 42 games in the league in that, se- in that season, not 38. Um, Joe Harvey picked his best team in every single competition, and that season was the First Division, the European First Cup, the League Cup and the FA Cup. Never rested a player. You talk about, you know, Evans rested, etc. Never rested a player. Pop Robson played in every single competitive game Newcastle played that season. He played in 59 consecutive games for Newcastle that season and scored 30 goals. That's not a bad ratio, is it? One every two. 50... Tommy Gibb played 58. He only missed one game, and that game was the first game of the season because he was recovering from injury. So he played them on the bounce. We didn't talk about tiredness. There was only one sub allowed on those days. Next season, there's five allowed on. Never mind how many you have on the bench. You could name one and play one. So no, they played on pitches, which were either knee-deep in squelching mud or rutted. And they played that number of games and won the competition. So I hope the dear little mites of Leicester are dreadfully tired in this awful business of having to nip over the water to uh, Holland Holland and back. Uh, I hope they're tired and I hope they're exhausted and I hope we take advantage. But really, uh, I'm a little bit cynical about that. That's a key point there, taking advantage. But it's also very important that Newcastle don't expect... There'll be a European hangover because Leicester are good players. Brendan Rodgers is a good manager. Absolute. He was the pick for many people actually for for this job. Obviously, it, it didn't happen. See, I mean Leicester. If you look, you know, they were saying they're taking this European competition seriously, and it really is a little bit of a Mickey Mouse competition compared with the other great European competition. But we talked last week, you know, about. Wolves, and I remember Jamie Carragher saying, um, prior to that game, when they said, what should Newcastle aim to become next season? Immediately, the next step. And he said, become a Wolves. Well, I can understand what his theory was. I haven't watched Wolves for an hour and a half. I don't want to become a Wolves at all, because it was like watching paint dry. They lacked ambition totally and utterly. They were go- they were happy from the kickoff for a no-no-to-o. And so they got what was coming their way. But you look at Leicester, a similar-sized club maybe, the Wolves, if you like. And in recent times, they have won the championship, the greatest fairy tale ever, when they won the Premier League title. They then won the FA Cup. So what? even if it's a, a Disneyland a European Cup, you, you're going to want to win it. Because if you can put three trophies in, in six years or whatever... On the bench in Leicester City, you know, that's good. And you can understand them wanting to do that. And even though their greatest asset is out and it's still Vardy because goal scoring. Well, we should know what goal scoring is about because we've got a history in number nines and we've got a history right now of not scoring goals in open play. So we know what goal scorers are about. Um, and Vard- so therefore Vardy's the top man. And uh, without him. But 
you look at the other players they've got from the goalkeeper, you know, through to Madison and the new lad with the double-barreled name that's playing midfield, and y you think they've got quality players. If you don't take them seriously, if you give them enough space, they'll hurt you. They've got the ability to hurt you. It's always interesting when I'm out and about and uh, I'm meeting you, Peter Will, and I'm saying oh, I'm a Newcastle United fan, and the comparison seems to be Leicester City, you know, for what they've achieved. Yeah, You've yeah, listed off yeah, their yeah. facilities. They've clearly got um, ambitions, and they're very much a community club as well. You know, yeah. the, the, the surrounding yeah. area means a lot to the to the owners. Um, so it's it's always interesting because people do tend to throw, oh, well, you'll be aiming to do what Leicester City have done in recent years, and I think many Newcastle United fans to begin with will certainly take that. Oh, um, without Premier League aside, without a shadow of doubt, because they've proved. They are the stepping stone. Our ambition under the sort of owners we've got is to go further than Leicester City have gone. But what Leicester City have done under the circumstances is truly magnificent. And there will not be a story in the next hundred years to beat them winning the Premier League title the way they did. Uh, that was sensational. That's a Hollywood film waiting to be made. Um, and then they'll go on and win the FA Cup, which have never won in their history. And they won that with Rodgers. I mean, it is a club to be admired. And inevitably, if there's a club to be admired, you then admire the players have got, you admire the manager. But if you look deeper, you've got to admire the owners because inevitably they're a well-run club that has sustained success. Mm -hmm. And Leicester City are that without a shadow of doubt. And they've done that as well, obviously, with that horrendous tragedy, the helicopter oh, crash, oh. the bounce back from, horrendous. from that and, and maintain the success has been... I wish them everything they might want themselves apart from Sunday. I was going to say, yeah. Apart um, from Sunday. Newcastle-wise, obviously, let's just quickly look at the team. Martin Dubravka will start. He was he didn't have much to do, but when he was called upon, he did it very well against Wolves. Yep. Emil Kraft has come in for a lot of praise for his performance against Wolves. He he, has... he's, he's another one, Andrew, that's risen from the dead. I mean, you know, if you take me back six months, I would have said, you've got to get rid of Shaw. He's a walking mistake. Joe Linton, when he was playing centre-forward, was like watching paint dry. He was terrified of the penalty box. Uh, Kraft, you wondered how he was a Swedish international. Fraser, his body language, everything he did was so wrong, it was untrue. Now, we know the, what's happened with Joe Linton, etc., etc., etc. We know what's happened with Fraser. And it's happened with Kraft, you know. Not, I mean, he was third choice right back. With Trippier first choice and Manquillo second choice, he was third choice. He's coming. I'm not going to suddenly pretend that he'll keep Trippier out next season. But he's done exceptionally well and good on him. It'll be another tough test for the likes of Madison and what have you bearing down on him on, on Sunday. But we expect that he will start centre-backs with, say, Cher in Burn. We'll, They've nailed it on, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, my target has just been brilliant. And he's nailed it on. Yeah. Why so many people would like him to stay in the summer. Then into midfield, obviously the big question is all about the who plays across the middle of the park. Potentially made a little bit easier by the injury to Joe Willick. So on April the 8th, this is what Eddie Howe said. He said, we think it won't be long before he's back in contention to play. But until he's back, you can never say never. But we hope he had an injection. Uh, so we hope that has fixed the pain that he's had. He's rated by uh, website premierinjuries.com as a 25% chance of returning on Sunday. Obviously, we'll find out more in Eddie Howe's press conference. Mm. Um, but, I mean... 
let, let, let's say John Joe Willick is in contention to play. Mm-hmm. Who then starts in that that those midfield positions? Well, the only thing we've got to decide is who starts with Buna, because uh, he, quite frankly, is a different class. Uh, you know, you've got you've got the good, the more than decent, and the brilliant, and he's in the brilliant class. I mean, uh, the first name on the team sheet without having a centre forward that scores 30 goals a season has got to be Buna. He's magnificent and um, right attitude, uh, does a bit of everything. Gets his ball, his, his body between man and ball, wins it, snappy in the tackle, l- loves the responsibility of being on the ball, gets his head up and sees people. It's now become... At the start, when he joined us, if you remember, it was he can't get in the team because our three midfielders are playing so brilliantly. How do we drop one of them? So he's got to wait for his opportunity. I suggested now, and by the way, that Wolves game was his home debut. It was in, superb. In, his home start debut. When you consider it was April and he came in January, that, that shows you how patient he's had to be. Now, it's who, go, who plays with Bruno. It's not can Bruno get in the three. It's who's the other two because Bruno has got to be in. Um, and you're going through... Uh, I think you've got to go with Joe Linton. He's, he's earned the right this season. Uh, he's a big guy. He does the physical bit well. He, he has deserved that, so I would automatically play him. And then you look at Willock and, and Shelby. And this week, I, I would think it's a no-brainer. You would play Shelby because Willock may be fit enough to take part but if he is I suggest it'll not be for 90 minutes and I suggest he'll not be up to speed to start the game he should come off the bench if we need a goal and we always do need a goal and see if he can produce it so I would start with Bruno Joe Linton and Shelby and then we see Alan St Maxman on one side and we it will be a toss up between Amiron and Jacob Murphy. Obviously, Ryan Fraser went off after 12 minutes against Wolves again. This is what Eddie Howe had to say after the game. Looks like a hamstring issue. I don't know how serious it is, but it was enough to bring him off the pitch, which is a huge blow with the form he's been in. Miggy came on, and I thought he did really well. I think, you know, there's a lot of debate about his future, but if he puts in performances like that, I think he does his chances of staying beyond the summer a lot of good obviously you know it, it we were banging our heads against a brick wall he needs to score more goals he needs to set more up but i think his play aside from that you know is 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 at the top of his level and i think um i think he'll probably start against yeah Leicester. If, if fraser has any sort of hamstring problem he doesn't play the next game because hamstrings are very dodgy and only time men's hamstrings even if it's just slightly uh, damaged or pulled so I wouldn't expect him to start Miggy did absolutely nothing wrong and I think will start ahead of Murphy on uh, on Sunday uh, he needs everything we've talked about um, and what I find interesting because Newcastle fans and isn't it fun to stand in a pub with a pint in your hand and discuss who Newcastle signed this summer. And uh, it's all a matter of opinion because we're not inside the thoughts of uh, um, the hierarchy at St James's for signings. It's who you would perhaps want to sign. And the simple answer, because the second question after who will resign is who will go. Yeah. Uh, and the simple answer to that for me is it depends who comes. First and foremost, Newcastle must buy before they sell. 
It's no good getting rid of Miggy and saying, well, he's not going to make it long term. Let's get rid of Muggy. Let's get rid of Sean Longstaff. Obviously, Clark goes. Hayden might go. Gale's not being used. He might go. All of a sudden, your squad's halved and you're presuming that people are going to come in. I think you've got Newcastle have got to sign quality players like a centre-forward, like uh, a midfielder, like a centre-half and a goalkeeper, uh, a left-back, even if it's target, because bear in mind, target's not ours. Um, but they've got to sign first and then get rid of... Because if you don't get a person then you've got to keep what you've got. So Miggy's future will be decided by uh, the number of people that come in. He's got to do himself some favours. He's always been willing. He always runs as, as hard and as far as Mo Farah. That's what he does. That's his game. Sometimes he runs without purpose, bless him. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm certain he's been found running down Northumberland Street and then up on the quayside because the gate's been left open at the Carragher Uh It does that. Um, but it, it, it's an advantage that can be turned into a bit of a liability sometimes. But he's earned the right to go again. He'll never sell you short on, on trying. And, uh, yeah, I'll be comfortable to go with Miggy on Sunday as the only change from the starting line-up against Wolves. Mm, so, therefore, Chris Wood starts up front. There's um, nobody else. No. Gail not getting a look-in, as you mentioned. No. So, just before then, John, I ask you for how this one's going to go. We've had the results to give us corner, the top 10 Newcastle United goals. Um, the list I will pop into the podcast notes of this episode and we'll also record a special episode going a little bit more in depth about the results, John. Mm. But we can say that the, the, the listeners agreed with your number one choice of Philip Albert's chip against Manchester United. And I was delighted for that because I felt a lot of people, uh, a lot of professional people, a lot of hacks I know who are friends of mine and I love sort of raised an eyebrow. It, Me uh, included. Yeah, it, it, it the choice. And I can understand that because... If you talk about Newcastle and goals and the greatest goals scored, and you're not picking a number nine legend, you're not picking War Jackie or Alan Shearer or Supermac, you're not picking the genius that is Peter Beardsley, and you're not picking the flamboyance that is David Ginola, and you're going for a centre-half. I mean, if you just say it like that, it's staggering. But if you watch the goal, if you were in the crowd, if it was the cherry on top of the cake on the whole display. We owed Manchester United big time. They twice stopped us from winning the Premier League title. They beat us time and time again. They give us a 12-point start and overhauled us for the KK team. We're sick to death of Manchester United. We're sick to death of Ferguson because he's a success and he's not our manager. So it took the whole lot of them to have the greatest goalkeeper in the world at the time, Schmeichel, chipped audaciously by a central defender, magnificent, Prince Philip, top man. And I was delighted that punters went along with him. Yeah, and thank you for tuning into that episode. I'll put that episode link into the comments and thank you for voting as well it was a real pleasure to see so many of you take part and I guess John if Dan Byrne can channel his inner Philip Albert against Peter Schmeichel's <laughs> son on Sunday we'll be very happy indeed you just took the words out my mouth because I was thinking as you were talking there that it's his son Casper who will be keeping goal all things being equal on Sunday and uh, 
I love Dan Byrne. I love him to death. I'm not certain he's got a Philip Albert chip in him, to be truthful, but uh, uh, I, I really think that he will make an impression. You know, we're talking there about the great Newcastle goals. Um, I've also loved to think about the great Newcastle players. And the step forward, we have had some very average players over the last 14 years. We've had a few good ones, don't get me wrong. I'm not torn everybody with the same brush. But, and it's far too early because these players just come in January, but long term, will we be looking eventually at a place in history among the great Newcastle players of the past? And will there be a place for Kieran Trippier? Will there be a place amongst the centre-backs for Dan Byrne? And will there be a place in midfield for Bruno? All is a possibility. There's three players there now that can make a significant impact on the history of Newcastle United in the way Philip Albert. We are talking about Philip Albert to this day, sitting here now, saying what a wonderful goal. Might we be talking about, when we're talking about players, not goals, we might be talking about Byrne, we might be talking about Trippi. And by the way, Bruno, his goal, we will be talking about. That was absolutely frightening. Yeah. Uh, that was stunning. Um, so... That just the fact that there's three players that might force their way into the frame tells you the steps we've taken forward, and it's lovely to be able to talk like that. And we'll be taking our step forward with victory on Sunday. We will, on the law of averages, haven't had four if we don't score a pile of goals and three them by one goal, and then the other one three one. You would think at some stage we're going to have to make do with a draw. Uh, we're certainly not going to get beat. Uh, no, we're going to get beat against Crystal Palace. But on the three home games that we've had in no space of time on the bounce, are we going to get two wins in a draw? That is thoroughly understandable. That, to a certain extent, would be acceptable. I just wouldn't forecast it. I would forecast it to go exactly like Wolves. Not exactly. They'll be more adventurous than Wolves were. But a hard-fought goal by a one-goal margin... I'll go for that. I, I would accept the draw. It could well be a draw. Defeat's unthinkable. I'm going for a victory. I'm going to go for victory as well. I think Newcastle will... Um, I think, And this will be the, the victory that pretty much secures the Premier League status. We've been saying already. that for an age. It's been secured for an eternity, young man. Yeah, we're getting closer to the to the rubber stamp, though, aren't we? So, I think, yeah, I think a victory against Leicester, and I think they, as much as they've, they'll try and paint a picture of not having a European hangover, I think they will do. And... Um, I think Newcastle will take advantage. Of course, another sold out St James's Park. Big, big display plan for Sunday as well. I've been lucky enough to have a bit of an insight um, into what's happening on Sunday. It's going to be very special. So, um, all hope sides of the ground. Special after the kickoff as well, <laughs> mate. <laughs> well, I hope the players live up to what their war flags are planning. That's that's the challenge, and um, uh, you guys will need to get involved. So make sure you do wave those flags, but please don't take the flags home with you. Leave them in the ground. Um, and that's the end of the match preview. Good to have you back, John. Please head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep a date with all the latest Newcastle United news. And please like and follow the podcast. Totally free to do through your podcast provider. Just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to listen to or download. And please leave us a rating and review. And fingers crossed, we're back next week talking about Newcastle victory over Leicester. Cheers. <laughs>